1: Welcome to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. Mark Michael Gordy today. We are without Maddie. She uh, got stuck in a real-life situation at work, so we'll have a quick pause moment of silence for Maddie not being here. And we're back to the Tinderbox. So, gang, uh, the Flames last night, they take down the Columbus Blue Jackets 6-2. That is now... 12-2, Twelve to two, the goals against, or goals for, and goals against for Calgary against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I'm pretty sure Elvis is very happy to not see the Flames again this season. Um, Columbus looked like they had a little bit of fight early on when it was two to one, and then all of a sudden they just kind of like Bleh. they just they just fell off the rails. Um, the new toy scored a goal last night. Michael, uh, your impressions uh, with the Flames last night?
0: Well, yeah, it was a. Uh... Bit of a back and forth start. We're, we've been kind of used to the Flames kind of getting off right from the get go, but um they got a couple early goals, especially thanks to uh, Andrew Peak, I believe is his first name, and like yep. that was. I think he's definitely making his uh, candidacy to be the Flames' depth defenseman ad at the uh, deadline by sniping that one in last night, and then like, don't look now, but uh, Eric Goodbranson has more goals than Leon Drysital since the All Star break. So like, who's really the best? A goal score in the NHL it's hard to say um yeah no I thought it was a pretty good game and then just to see the Flames turn it on and just crush the Jackets will to keep playing kind of in the second and third period it was just a really a uh, just another strong pretty clinical performance by the time it was all said and done
1: go to your takeaways last night Vladar finally gets back into the lineup gets out on the ice like Michael and I said to me earlier today he's like I thought he looked shaky. I think that's reasonable, you know, for a guy who hasn't played in what seems like three and a half years. Um, So, you know, he gets back out there, does well. And Tyler Toffoli scores his first goal on a flame on a one skate backhand, odd angle, gigantic long pass from Johnny Gaudreau.
2: I couldn't figure out why Vladar looked so bizarre for the first part of the game. And I'm pretty sure that was his first home game, right? Like I think it was just the fact that he was in a red Jersey and he had his alternate mask. It's, kind of insane that we're close to 50 games and he's he's recording his first game at home um honestly i i thought that first period was borderline unwatchable it was really sloppy hockey like both teams were just connecting on no passes i mean the goals were disgusting good branson scores on the ice from the blue line yeah andrew peak slaps it in his own net and Boquist kind of buries a freak bounce off of Noah Hannafin. So, but like Michael said, it was awesome to see the Flames turn it up in the second and third. I think they haven't changed anything in their lineup for uh, quite a few games on this win streak now. So, you know, just having a new body in the lineup probably definitely took some getting uh, used to. And I mean, we saw what he did with his ice time. If you watch that highlight, like, Dean Cook and like who's back checking on that play sees to Foley go up on the one leg and he kind of gives up on the play because he like it really looks like to was gonna blow a tire maybe take it behind the net or something but he just somehow rides a singular edge to the other side of and's like what a goal like celebration was awesome too just welcome to Calgary. <laughs>
1: right and the weirdest part about that goal is he didn't have a good angle on that for a backhand either it was just such an odd and it beats him and i feel bad for Mers lincoln's he's just like it's like every time they like the two times they played calgary this year the entire team in front of him lets him down like they just play like absolute trash in front of him um but yeah that goal was absolutely bananas the place went nuts and you look at just what he did with his line like Dubay finally puts a puck in the net last night he looked more alive he had four shots on goal um and obviously, you always get that initial, uh, you know, jump or push when you bring in a new guy, Michael. But I, I liked what I saw out of Foley, especially a guy who played four games in six nights and had to fly from Montreal to Calgary.
0: Yeah, I thought he did kind of all you could ask for. Like you said, a new guy who's played a lot of hockey in the last week or so. Um, yeah, I thought he settled in well. I thought his line mates Dubé and Monahan had a jump, even though like the three of them combined for two goals. Neither of them really came as a trio, but at the same time, I thought. I thought it looked like kind of a good setup game to kind of get things rolling for both Toffoli and his line mates. And then I think we'll probably see something similar tonight. Then after that, they have a few days to kind of work him into the systems before Saturday.
1: Yeah. Cause I think at some point they'll want him out there on the PK and the power play at some point. he just can't throw a guy out there at the start. And it's not like the flames had a ton of opportunities last night anyway. So, um, and you know, Dan Vladar finally gets a start. It was crazy to think that that was his first home start of the entire season. Like it may, he's played every single game on the road. Um, you know, it's, it stopped 18 out of 20 gets another win. So that's good. Um, flames are rolling. You know, they go for eight in a row tonight against Anaheim. Um, They've won three in a row against the Ducks, which sounds weird to say, um, you know, especially at the Dome. And it's just like, I looked it up like their win percentage against teams. And would you believe that that's not their worst win percentage of all time against a team, which is crazy. Right now it's Vegas, but it's such a small sample size. I don't really count it. it the Bruins, they're like the Bruins, they're worse against the Bruins, which is an, which is crazy to think. But Ducks are in town. Big game. They're only five points behind the Flames. Calgary's in first place. Gordy, what are you looking for tonight out of Calgary? Just uh
2: you know another strong performance like you guys have said like tofoli has got a game under his belt now like it'll be interesting to see how much more he gels uh, I think he only had like 12 minutes of ice time in his first game so you'd probably expect that to maybe be closer to 15 or so tonight um and like I, I think the other guy that was hugely affected by that was Dylan Dubé he had the big big chance early in the game off a pass from Tofoli, and obviously neither he nor fully scored like as part of their line, but just, you know, getting some offense from uh, guys that will be playing together is really good to see. And hopefully those three can connect uh, even strength tonight.
1: Michael, can the Flames defense keep up the scoring that it has? That's now 13 points in three games, which is something I didn't see coming in this streak, how well they're playing good. Branson's got games with back, back-to-back games with goals for the first time since 2018 Um, and he joked a couple weeks ago when he scored they were like it's been a while do you remember he's like I remember all my goals because I barely score any you know so he's even surprised with how he's playing but um, you said too like literally he was the worst defenseman in the league last year but now look at him
0: yeah it's uh I think whatever he signs for his next contract I think knowing the NHL somebody probably hopefully not the flames are going to give him like if Cody Ceci got that contract from the Oilers like uh good branson's gonna get like a three year three million per contract from somebody and i think daryl sutter should be asking for like a 20 percent commission on it because it's just amazing what they've done with him uh for the holes of blue line like they've all been playing really well as late with the points and everything and i don't think that's going to continue like all year long like we see every the whole team goes through ups and downs with their hot streaks but to see them all kind of chipping in is really uh It's kind of the difference between I think a lot of these games being like 3-2 and these games being 5-2 is just how much the defense have been contributing of late and it probably won't keep up all year long but I don't see any reason why it won't be like one or two guys every night like we're not going to see like a few games ago where they had all six guys getting a point but if like one pairing or a couple of guys can get a point or two a night like it really sets the rest of the team up well for success.
1: Yeah, Gabranson with a goal last night, Zdorov with a point. Who'd have thought, like, the third defensive pairing would be, like, the the, <laughs> the grouping you'd be talking about offensive-wise? Gordy, it also helps, it adds in the secondary scoring for a team that desperately needed it for a while when Gaudreau and Kachuk were carrying the team. Um, but Lindholm scoring again, uh, Dubé scores, Rozicka's scoring. So, like, it's kind of all roses right now, right, which is kind of weird. Yeah, like Ruzichka is
2: just gaining insane confidence game by game. It's He didn't score on a great shot on Merzlikins, but I think the fact that he carries the puck the way he does, carries it around Boquist and just gets the shot off is a really good sign. He's playing better and better every game. And I mean, this team is absolutely loaded down the middle of the ice with, you know, four really competent guys, which is a really good sign going into the playoffs and, you know Rasmus Anderson I think in these last few games has gained a huge confidence in carrying the puck and having the puck on his stick which all season long I've said it he's on the power play he's he's relies too much on the bump back he's got to you know have more confidence with the puck on his stick in these last few games you know the peak goals and own goal but it's Anderson crashing the net that causes that and yeah the defensive depth and defensive scoring is just it's just so hard to get and so hard um, to put a value on these days. So, you know, as long as the flames can keep it up and keep this high level of play, like it's, it's all, it's all a good signs.
1: Now, Brad for living made his big deal early. You know, he made the deal for Holy this week on Monday. Um, do we see the flames maybe adding somebody else at the trade deadline? Like, I mean, I know salary cap wise things are weird and we'll get into that in the second half of this podcast, but, um, Guys, is there anybody you see out there that the Flames, is this something they should be adding? Should they go out and get a seventh defenseman? Or is Michael Stone, you know, as Michael and I talked on Monday, if you dust the cobwebs off him and, you know, sharpen his skates so he can get out there and play, is he a reasonable option to have in there as a seventh defenseman? Or should they be looking to add somebody else?
0: Um, I would just say the first thing I'd be kind of looking at at the deadline, like another defense would be great because I think, they often say like you want to have like nine or ten guys kind of ready to go on your blue line for the playoffs in case there's injuries suspensions whatnot like i think if you look at the flames they kind of got their seven including stone at the nhl then you got like mackie and stockton who i think could sub in if needed you got val mackie obviously too um like i don't hate the depth right now on the blue line i don't think you if you're going to get somebody i don't think you're getting anybody like that's going to cost you more than like a fourth or fifth round pick. So i think you kind of if you want to get one more guy just to shore things up that's great but I don't see any of the top six coming out of the lineup uh, there. And then on forward, like you could maybe make a case for one more guy. Like I was saying yesterday, like I would still be interested in Cali Yarncrook on the uh, Kraken. Like, I think he would just be a nice fit. Also he's Lindholm's cousin and like just another Swedes always good to have on board. So like someone like him is like kind of a depth piece. He doesn't have a huge contract. I think if they moved like Richie or something either to Stockton or out in that deal, like they could probably make it work cap wise too. So like, other than a small piece here or there, I don't think there's a ton more they can or need to do. So those would be my kind of, or that'd be my name though that I'd be looking for.
1: Uh, don't move Richie out. I was looking forward to him being the new Tyler Pitlick undisclosed day to day every week. Uh, Gordy, uh, your thoughts, anybody you think they should add, or are you happy with what the team has right now?
2: Yeah, it kind of feels like if they do make a trade for a depth guy, it's going to be somebody who might have to be okay with um, sitting in the press box, a lot of games because they're, really isn't many guys in the lineup you envision taking out anytime soon unless you know guys like you know Dubé on that third third line left wing doesn't quite gel um I think they really want to keep Monahan and Toffoli together so if if that doesn't work out you, I, I could see them maybe um finding somebody for that but other than that like even even guys down the lineup like Trevor Lewis is playing his role and playing it well. And at, at this point it is hard to envision anybody being swapped out. Well,
1: it's funny. Michael and I were talking about Trevor Lewis this morning, like how of all the guys they brought in, he seems to be the one that's just going out there doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not flashy. He's not going to, he's not going to score every, every, I don't know, every six nights or whatever. He's just going out and doing what he's supposed to be doing on that fourth line with Rajitska and Lucic and, Honestly, out of all of them, he's like the one I would like to see them hold on to and keep in that lineup because he's got playoff experience, he's got Stanley Cup experience, he's a veteran in that locker room that can help lead. So I'm all I'm all in on Lewis. Um, if we could jump now to coaching wise, um, it's Michael and I were doing the has like when's the last time you were this excited about the goaltending, the defense, the forwards, and the coaching? Right, the it's all like the whole package is there, but we get excited about it. If you listen to Sutter's post game last night, it was just everybody that asked about, like, hey, Vladar was good. He's like, yeah, it was nice for him to play at home. And then there was, they asked him it was like, Dubé, and he's like, well, he's got to earn his opportunities. You know, he should be putting the puck in the net, you know, type thing. And then it was, uh, who else? He uh, Oh, then it was Toffoli, and he's like, he's like, well, fans are smart. They know good hockey players. Like, he's, like, literally had, like, nothing good to say. And Rhett Warner today said that his problem is he knows what it is. Sutter's mad because everything's too easy. Like he thinks these guys need something to make them struggle. But it's funny to see like where the praise doesn't come from. Like he totally tears down Rajitska like when he has one good game, but you look at how that's made him play harder. Um, I thought he was pretty hard on Dubé last night after the game. Anybody, did you guys listen to it? Do you have any thoughts on it?
2: Yeah. Like Dubé is his doghouse guy. Like from the moment he joined here, it's just felt like those two have just had no compatibility. Dubé is just tanked down the lineup. like borderline out of the organization at this point it's kind of sad and the dan vladar thing is is not very good because the fans love him like his teammates love him i listened to him on the after the game last night he's just such a humble like well-spoken guy like you and then daryl sutter just like never plays him like not an ounce of praise it's it's a little bizarre especially when his biggest mantra is like all he cares about is wins well vladar got him a win like give yeah. him some
1: praise well it's too easy they're scoring they're averaging like 4.82 goals a game <laughs> they came winning streak so it's just it, the vladar was funny too they asked him about to he's like yeah it was nice it gave me goosebumps and they weren't even cheering for me <laughs> <laughs> like, so he's got some personality which i kind of like kind of like riddick had, but he doesn't have the uh the mental psychosis that Riddick had when he was here to just lose his mind. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on like Sutter, and I get what he's doing. It's everything is earned. Nothing is given. You know, you have to, but I feel like he could be like, he would be like, Hey coach, Dubé had a hat trick tonight. Well, he could have had four, you know, like that type of
0: scenario. What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, the more and more we've seen of Sutter over the last year, like I, I just think everything he does, he calculates it ahead of time. Like, I've noticed after losses he doesn't get too down on guys. He doesn't get too like tearing into people when they've had a bad game. But like at the same time when they have a good game, I don't think he lets them get too high or fold themselves either, because that's something we saw a lot of times with this Flames team. Like I'm thinking all the way back to like even the Hartley and Gults in years was they'd have a good game or two. The coach might say something good about them in the media. They come out the next game and just are just terrible because they're full of themselves. Like I think that's when we remember the old Galton, like stick throwing thing was like, you had one good game and this is how you're playing. like, I I really think it's Sutter, just keeping guys nice and even keeled, keeping them focused, keeping them professional. It would be nice to see him throw a bone every now and then to the young guys, but at the same time, especially with the young guys, you have to keep them pushing harder because he knows that there is probably a lot more potential for them to still unlocked. So if they get too comfortable with where they're at, they probably won't push that extra limit. So I don't know. I, Maybe it is Sutter just being old and mad and grumpy and he's up late <laughs> on a Tuesday night. But on the other hand, I th- I really think he's just he knows what he's doing at this point. He's knowing what he has to do to get the best out of players, whether it's an old guy or a young guy. And at least that's what I hope, because otherwise I kind of feel bad for the guys. But I, I, I think he knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah, I I too. I'm not going to question much of anything he does, because that's just he's. He's getting the job done and it's being done right. It's just it's just sometimes funny to listen to him just be like, no, nah, nah, whatever, it's fine. He's good. He's okay. Um it, but at least he's not doing you know, uh was it uh who is it? Um was the Nathan? I'm gonna screw up his last. Name. Is it Gerbe, Gerb from uh the, the shortest player? Oh, yeah, Gerb, yeah. At least Sutter's not making them run five miles behind the car on the way home in dress shoes, you know, because they had a bad game. So they <laughs> He's got that going for him, I suppose. Um, that was quite the topic on Twitter today, but we don't need to get into that. Um, speaking of short guys, uh, I just made my own segue. Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, this is—I feel like this is the Michael and I have weird conversations at weird hours of the day because he lives in one time zone and I work weird hours. But we're looking at Johnny Gaudreau. Gaudreau's played 566 games with the Flames, right? He's got 554 points. Uh, we were talking about like, say he gets a longevity deal, whether it's like five years, six years, whatever it is. I mean, we're going to knock on wood. Gaudreau is most of the time healthy, right? He had the one injury where he took all those slashes. Um, Guys, does he have a chance to catch Jerome McGinley's franchise record of offense? I looked it up. I did a little bit of math. McGinley in 545 games had 430 points, right? His career started a little bit slow, but because he was playing on just – Butchered terrible teams, but then he put the flames on his back and went nuts. Um, finished with uh 1219 career games and a thousand and ninety five points. Theo Flurry, though, was pretty close on that list. He played 791 games and had 830 points with Calgary in 568 games. He had 616 points. So Gaudreau is right there on pace with those guys. Do you think Gaudreau could at least catch Flurry and uh, Michael? Does he have a shot at again?
0: I think Flurry, again, all knock on wood with the uh. If he gets re-signed, like I, I see no reason why he can't catch Flurry. Like he's just with how he's playing right now. Like I think the biggest question will be just kind of when the aging curve hits Gidrul. Like I know I can't believe we're kind of already talking about that, but if we're talking six, seven years down the road, like he's 28 right now, he'll be 29 by the start of next season. And like evidence is starting to point more and more to the primes for forward players like hitting earlier than defensemen. So it kind of depends. Like we also haven't really seen a player like Gidrul in terms of, like how he kind of holds up like if he loses a step, like he's not a big guy. So he's not gonna be like bruising in for goals. So I think, I don't think it's crazy to see Gaudreau kind of maintain a 70, 80 point pace, like for five or six years. And then that puts him kind of right there near again. So I, I think it's possible, but uh it really, like I said, it really just depends on kind of when he starts to show a bit more age. Like, Like we've said, he's done a good job avoiding injuries, avoiding like the big hits that put the quickest miles on you. So I think it's all doable right now, at least.
1: I mean, at least check the birth certificate, because I really don't think he's any older than like 18. He just still (laughs) looks like a kid. Uh, Gordy, is it blasphemy to bring up the fact that maybe Johnny could catch Jerome McGinley? Are we going to catch a ton of hate for that? Or is it something that should be kind of in the discussion, seeing where he is career wise, games and points?
2: Yeah. Like he's, it all depends on if he stays in Calgary, obviously. Like, um, but the, the thing Gaudreau has again, contract wise for another guy, but the thing Gaudreau has that again, never had is two night in night out elite line mates. And if like, if they can keep this Lindholm, Gaudreau, Kachuk trio together for a couple more years, like, like the chemistry they have is insane and you can, you can see over the course of a couple of years, you know, if you look at like Bergeron, uh, and Pasternak, like you keep a line together for a couple of years and I mean, the points come. So I don't think it's blasphemous at all to, to say he could, you know, start to climb up with those all time flame greats. And I mean, it's the, it's the usually the bigger guys that age worse as their body starts to kind of wear down with the wear and tear of hockey. But, Goudreau's kind of mastered the the art of a low contact hockey game he's you know he skates when he has to but I think you know I think he can get flurry I don't know about again like because he is already 28 the forward kind of prime is around 27 so he's gonna you know who knows what he does but most likely he's gonna start regressing in a couple seasons but um, for me, I'd like to see Goudreau hit a hundred points this season it It really felt like such a cheated stat in two thousand eighteen nineteen and with how mediocre the flames were the last two years and how much of a fluke that season it started to feel like it felt like it might never happen again, and you know he'd be stuck at ninety nine as his career high so as a kind of a temporary milestone, it'd be really cool I think to see Goudreau hit a hundred plus points this season.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's out of the question, especially the way he's playing the way he and Kachuk are playing. And if he's going to be lobbing 150 foot passes through the air, like a quarterback <laughs> to, to a waiting forwards, I think, I think life is going to be good. So yeah, no, I, I think the, I don't think the hundred point barrier is out of the question at all. Just the way he and Kachuk, I mean, he could build up his season just with him uh, the way they move the puck and pass. So uh Good to go. And again, like, could you imagine again the playing with Lindholm or even Kachuk on his wing? Like, just like if he had had a guy like that in his prime to play with, he would have been it would have been ridiculous. So, um, okay, we'll get on from depressing things and talk about more fun stuff. Actually, no, we're not because we're going to come back and talk about Olympic hockey. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Tinderbox. Um, when we come back, we're going to look at the men's and women's U.S. and Canadian hockey teams. Uh, two of them are playing, two of them are not. Jack Eichel's going to make his debut, and is Vegas, really? Are they cheating the system? We'll discuss that when we come back on the Tinderbox. And welcome back to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. Mark, Michael, Gordy today. Um, Olympic hockey, USA, Canada, men's done. Um, USA uh, bows out with a loss. Canada bows out with a loss. Uh, Anybody surprised that our respective countries' men's hockey teams are no longer in this tournament, Michael?
0: Uh no, honestly. It's <laughs> it's I, I wish I had more to say, but like I, I did not watch a minute of the men's hockey at all these Olympics. Like I just had no compelling need to watch a team where like Eric Stahl is your best player for uh, Canada. Like it was just no for me, it just wasn't something I really even want to spend time on watching. So I'm I'm not surprised. I know for the US like I think it is a little bit disappointing like they had some good young players there like I would have liked to see them go a little bit deeper and especially because I think it was CNN that called them like the miracle on ice team after beating Canada <laughs> and then they lose to Slovakia and it's like <laughs> what I, I don't think I don't think that's what happened in the miracle on ice but uh yeah it's it's funny to see uh or it's kind of tough to see both teams bow out but like we need a best on best tournament like soon that's all I'm really saying here
1: yeah, yeah, I don't think the Miracle on Ice team uh, ended up losing to one oh oh and two Slovakia in Group C from the Group A. Brad, Canada, uh, they fall to Sweden um, two to nothing, so they're done. But uh, in bigger, better news, uh, the United States and Canadian women play tonight for the gold medal. Um, the United States lost four to two. I think that'll be a really. I mean, it's obviously it's a very late game uh, going on out uh, my time eleven ten. So you guys are looking at nine. Um, you know, maybe. Post Flames game, tuning into that, but um, that should be a good game. That's always an exciting game to watch the Canadian women and the United States women play. Uh, Gordy, um, what are your thoughts?
2: A hundred percent. It's arguably more of an iconic matchup than men's hockey, but honestly, that's that's been kind of the problem these Olympics. Yet again, is is um, you know, twenty years into women's hockey now, and it's still just two teams and pretty much nobody else. Like I think Canada scored double-digit goals in most of their games and it was just there's no competition really unless it's Canada versus the U.S. so it'll it, it, hopefully these these tournaments and stuff can really grow the women's side of the game and we see some more parity in this tournament in future years it's it's an awesome sport. They're, they're awesome at it. But like when you, when you see hockey, you see Slovakia beat the U S and these upset games and underdog teams you can root for. It's, it's part of the experience. And you know, that's, that's really all I have to say.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, I watched a couple of the United States. It's funny. I've watched more of the United States women's games than I have the men's games. Like Michael, I had no interest in watching any of the men's hockey bracket. I was, it was all in on the women and like the United States are just pounding teams like China and, russia oh the sorry the russian olympic committee um you know they were hammering some of those teams down i mean it, but it is it's your two best teams out there canada hasn't lost their 400 and oh and the u.s is 300 and one so i mean i almost was thinking at the beginning of the olympics why even have the rest of the hockey bracket for the women just put the united states and canada out there and let them play like a best of five you know or a best of seven and see how it goes but yeah united states and canada uh women's hockey going tonight for the gold medal so that should be interesting uh men's no such luck um i don't even know who's the quarterfinal is what russia and finland and sweden those are the or the quarterfinals yeah those are three of the teams left so go olympics yay i think they should do the hug they should do like an outdoor rink though like in the middle of that nuclear reactor where they do the the ski jump <laughs> 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 they should do something like that do like a an outdoor classic you know gold medal game in the middle of a what used to be a bombed out war zone. Good Lord. Those pictures are uh, just, it's insane. Uh Anyway, moving on from the Olympics. Let's talk about Jack Eichel. He's going to make his debut for the Vegas golden Knights. So the Pacific just gets more interesting, Michael. um, What do you expect out of Eichel?
0: Um, I It's really hard to say. Cause this is a guy that's bordering on like, cause he missed pretty much all of that. La- Actually. Yeah. Like he played 21 games last year for Buffalo, but like, wasn't really too involved before he missed the rest of the year and like he's bordering on like a year out of hockey like i i, I don't know in one way I expect him to kind of take a bit of time to settle back in but he also is like when he's at 100 he is one of the better players on the planet so like i expect him to get off to a pretty quick start in vegas they still have a good team and he makes them a bit more formidable but it's just uh it's such a mess in Vegas right now. Like I think they're kind of like Laner might be hurt. Um They they just seem kind of like a team with skill, but like they don't have a lot of direction. So I bet I'm guessing they're hoping that Eichel kind of gets things all set up for them again, but right now it's a bit messy there.
1: Gordy, you, you brought up the long-term injury thing where they bring in Eichel, he's on long-term IR, so he doesn't count against the cap. Now that he's ready, Mark Stone is out on long-term IR because he's got a back issue. So now his salary doesn't count against the cap. And we all know in the playoffs, there is no salary cap. Is Vegas cheating the system right now? Yeah. Like this, this whole discussion
2: was brought up last year with Tampa Bay and you know, when they did it, it's it just seemed a lot more genuine. Like Kucherov had surgery. He missed the entire regular season, which, you know, that could have affected Tampa Bay. They could very well have missed the playoffs without their best player. It just felt like a more natural occurrence that they, you know, they exploited, but, you know, somewhat fairly. And then, like, now you have Vegas, who for the past couple of years has – Kind of willy nilly signed players to big contracts and then shipped them out a short period later. They've kind of, you know, swapped pieces in and out, arguably too quickly. And now they're right up against the cap. And I mean, we all saw Mark Stone at the All Star game, and suddenly he, you know, he can't play now. It it just raises a lot of questions. And if if teams are outright gonna exploit this like like is happening, because I said like you know Tampa Bay was kind of a debatable occurrence it wasn't outright exploitation but it really feels like what vegas doing is doing now is like they they can't find a move for some of their big contract guys or they're not willing to move them and now they have uh, a piece sitting at home because like they they can look at the pacific division and realize that it's weak enough that they'll make the playoffs you know going 500 the west rest of the way even if i will take some time to settle in so i don't know it's the the nhl's got some bigger problems than this but i mean it's going to have to be something that's dealt with in the near future
1: that was going to be my next question do you think the next time like uh contracts come up and labor becomes a, an issue again do you think maybe something like this like say vegas does go on a run and they blow through the pacific and then all of a sudden they add stone immediately back once the playoffs start and make a run and win the cup um i think you're going to have a lot of sour grapes from teams in the west um like I think it's something that could potentially be brought up and looked at because it doesn't seem right that you could just like Tampa did, you know, it's just, you can hold the piece out and then wait, and wait, and wait, and put it in and then just blow through everybody.
0: Well, it's, it's such a tough discussion or a thing to kind of weigh because some, maybe some of these, like some of these guys are like actually injured and it is a useful tool to have like the LTIR. So you can add more salary while these guys are actually injured, but it's just, it's kind of like this error of convenience to it that like, suddenly Eichel's ready to come back and now Stone's back injury suddenly flared up to the point where he can't play after it sounds like he played through most of the season like Gordy said the all-star game with it like it's it's kind of tough because like in a way you don't want to have teams kind of exploiting this loophole but at the same time like if guys are actually hurt like you need to be able to put them on an LTIR thing and maybe they do just happen to be ready by the playoffs so it's kind of like one of those things where there's there's kind of a lot of back and forth that has to go with it it's gonna stink obviously when stone's going to be conveniently ready to go like the day before game one of the playoffs but that's kind of where we're at right now with this system is that there's really nothing more you can do because like it it's not really fair to penalize teams if there are injuries like to make them keep their cap hit on the books but at the same time like it's not really fair to the other teams that teams are stashing these guys um, i I would just say it's so hard for i would say probably like ninety percent of the league couldn't afford to put one of their star players making a cap hit like this on the uh on the l t r and stash and whether or not he's injured like I think Kucherov is kind of a rare case with how good Tampa is Vegas might be another, but like if you look around the rest of the league like maybe the avalanche, maybe like the Panthers or the Leafs could afford to put one star player on that but like other than that like if the flames, if Gaudreau got some kind of injury tomorrow, they wouldn't be able to afford to put him on LTR and just hold hold out for the playoffs. Like, it's just such a tough thing to weigh that. Like, I I can't imagine the NHL comes up with a solution for it because there are so many cases that could be a uh, that could weigh things. So like, I don't know, I don't like it. Like we all know what's going on, but at the same time, like there's not a lot we can do about it.
1: That's all right. Don't worry about it, Vegas. We got you. Calgary can put Brett Ritchie on long-term IR and bring him back for the playoffs while they bring in another salary as well. So we, we can play that game too, right, Gordy? <laughs>
2: yeah, actually, you have to start uh, proving your injuries to Bettman himself. He has to <laughs> poke and prod the areas and you tell him if it hurts or not.
1: I'm just picturing him with like a stethoscope and one of those big old-school doctor-like silver <laughs> things on his head <laughs> just checking you out with a giant thing of cotton swabs next to him. That's just gross and creepy on so many different levels. We'll just let that run. Uh, Gordy, I was thinking of you uh, last night. Lots of tight close-ups of helmets last night. You must have been (laughs) losing your mind. Um, uh, Any John Gillies updates? We got anything in the the Gillies front?
2: Oh, I think he got lit up in his last game. But, you know, the the chin straps. (laughs) Can't hear about him.
1: Fair enough. Or to Foley. <laughs> yeah, maybe they would change him because he was coming in. They could do something. Um, anybody got anything else they want to add before we uh hop on out of here?
0: Uh I heard John Gillies has got an assist in one of his games, so like he's got more points than Brett Richie <laughs> So like there we go. I, I, the, I guess we'll go for Richie here
1: for a second. Like, like how how long? Like, how long is that gonna last? Thank God foley came in so we could move him down the lineup. But like it's just like sometimes the sticking like the sticking with those guys in those positions. Like how many times did we see Gaudreau and Monaghan get pinned on a line for months at a time where it wasn't working? I just don't understand. Like sometimes you just got to step back and be like, yeah, that's just not working. But I don't know. Maybe we won't see much more of Brett Ritchie. could be a weird season. He might not score a point at all, which, you know, the way he's been playing doesn't really come as a surprise. Um, Anything else, Gordy? Nope. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> flames and Ducks tonight, uh, 7.30 p.m. mountain time, 9.30 for us out on the East Coast. Uh Anaheim's five points behind the Flames in the division. Um, Vegas nipping at Calgary's heels, too. So this would be a nice little win to put some distance between them and Anaheim. And after that, later tonight, uh, the United States women and the Canadian women playing for gold in the Olympics that'll wrap up this episode of the tinderbox if you like this podcast you can find us on google Podcasts, itunes spotify and amazon music just search up matchsticks and gasoline and you can find this podcast and all past podcast episodes on the matchsticks and gasoline podcast network makes us sound official um michael gordy thank you for coming on and uh, we will catch you next time on the tinderbox